welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Erica Sullivan Figler, of, who's the founder and CEO of Low Ultraviolet. So welcome to the show, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, my name is Erica and I'm the CEO and founder of Low Ultraviolet. And Low Ultraviolet is a safe and fashionable UPF 50 plus lifestyle brand, really on a mission to educate and protect the public from skin cancer. So we always say We are a mission-driven company. We love clothes, but more than that, we love impact and we love contributing to a cause and education that's greater than ourselves. But I started the company when I was a senior in college at Virginia Tech, and I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) Um, I knew that there was a really cool opportunity, and I was really passionate about it because of family history with melanoma. Um, You know, I tell Mm -hmm. the story a lot. My mom was diagnosed with melanoma, and it just completely rocked our family. And I I started searching the market for some protective apparel that I wanted to wear, my mom wanted to wear that didn't look like an older women's apparel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So items that maybe were on the market prior were ill-fitting, bright patterns, and it's just, it's not what I wanted to wear. So I sat I um, set out to really create a company designed by one young women for young women and really disrupt the industry that was, you know, showcasing fishing shirts and ill-fitting patterns and and really resort wear more so than everyday wear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um so you went to Virginia Tech. Do you have like did you study fashion? Like I don't even know does Virginia Tech have a fashion program or Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. what's kind of your background on the fashion side of things? You obviously have like kind of this personal connection to the the category and the sun protective clothing, but did you have any sort of formal fashion education? So I do. So in high school, um, the summers, I spent up in New York City at the Laboratory Institute of Merchandising studying all things fashion. So that's really how I spent my summers in high school. And then I went to Virginia Tech to study fashion merchandising and design. So I ended up minoring in fashion merchandising design and majoring in communication studies. The program Mm -hmm. at Virginia Tech isn't crazy robust, um, but that just might have been my perspective after studying in New York um, Mm -hmm. and then kind of coming to a smaller program. So I decided to minor in fashion merchandising and design and just take any opportunity outside of the classroom to learn everything I could. Um, Mm. So I was always super into apparel and I knew I wanted to do something with apparel after school. I just didn't quite know what it was going to be. But due to those courses in New York, I learned so much about, um, you know, fashion PR and fit and the industry. And I just loved it. It was exciting. And it was something that I knew I could really do well and really, really just get excited about if I ever had an opportunity. Yeah. And that's so cool. So you're, you, you kind of have 
both sides of you have the fashion background and you have kind of the passion for this product category. Um, and I imagine that the communication really helps too in running a, in running a brand and, and being able to market and tell the story of Love Ultraviolet. Yeah, absolutely. It really beautifully came together. You know, communications is something, is a degree that you can really apply to anything. So what they always try and do at Virginia Tech, especially is if you major in communications, they make you minor or double major in something because mm-hmm. it can be applied to anything. Um, so that's why I chose kind of that fashion route, but you're you're completely correct. It is something that is so applicable. I use the the journalism school, um, the journalism tools I learned every single day, um, mm-hmm. and writing and just everything. I mean, it was it's a great major for fashion merchandising and for you know I had classmates who went out to sports broadcasting and and kind of everything under the sun, which is really fun. Yeah, that is fun. Um. So you talked a little bit about kind of the gap you saw in the existing sun protective, you know, apparel that was out in the market. Um, Was that really kind of the founding thing that made you want to start your own brand was that you couldn't find what you wanted to wear already existing in the market? Yeah, that's exactly it. It was, I always jokingly say that I started LUV very selfishly. Um, (laughs) Because I wanted something that I could wear as a 21-year-old woman, and I just didn't see it on the market. I wanted to keep myself protected, but everything that was really designed for a woman who was 21 and in college and having fun at the beach with her friends and all of that stuff, they didn't protect you in the slightest. So then when I went to find items that were protective, it just – it was not cute. And I I bought a couple items because – I really wanted to see what the market had in store. And this is way before I had our first LUV product, but I was just super unhappy with how it fit. And I always, you know, from my fashion merchandising studies, I know that fit is the most important thing. You know, Mm -hmm. that is what really separates like department store brands from higher end brands. It's the fit and understanding a woman's body and what would make them feel good to wear. And everything I found on the market was severely lacking that just personal fitted touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I'm very sensitive to the sun. So I, I do look for the you know, sun hat or rash guard or, you know, swimsuits that are a little bit more like, I'm not going to wear a bikini because I would just get sunburned everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there aren't as many options that are kind of cute and protective and young and don't, you know, that like the fit and the style is something that I would wear instead of there, there's way more options for like what my grandma would wear than what right. I would wear <laughs> in right. terms of sun protection. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah. And I think your point too of a lot of sun protective clothing is resort clothing versus like your everyday um clothing that you can wear not just to the beach or a tropical vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really what the market share was with those like Lily Pulitzer patterns, kind of shift mm-hmm. dress vibes. Um, but even going back to even if I found products that were hipper and, and younger looking, the fabric was too hot. I would wear it mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. beach or I'd wear it on vacation and I would just be absolutely melting. I'd be miserable. 
So that was, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of a two prong issue where one, it was super unflattering. And then I finally found something that, you know, would be cute. And then it was way too hot that I was so uncomfortable wearing it and it just wasn't practical. And, you know, you think the majority of people who wear some protective apparel are probably in those very hot, muggy environments, summertime, Florida, uh, mm-hmm. vacation, wherever it may be, which is so crazy to me that there wasn't an innovation that worked with your body so that you wouldn't be miserable in the sun. Yeah, so true. Um, So you saw this gap, you have this like personal need of like, I need this for myself. And um, what were kind of the first steps that you took to actually make this brand a reality? Yeah, it was definitely a labor of love. Um, I started the company for a pitch competition at Virginia Tech my senior year. So my first kind of steps were trying to figure out a business plan and what it looked like and what the products would be like. And I um, bought some patterns online and, you know, pulled out my sewing machine and started making some items. And the items I made is what we pitched in the pitch competition as our first product line. Mm -hmm. And we got a ton of feedback. Um, Long story short, so the first product I made was a wrap skirt because the majority of women have skin cancer that comes up and shows on their legs. And Mm. the the feedback I got, which is so funny now, I can laugh about it, but the feedback I got was that, well, why would I create a skirt? Because the majority of cancers are on people's heads and backs and shoulders. And I laugh now because that's where men develop skin cancer most frequently. That's not Mm -hmm. where women develop skin cancer most frequently. Um, Right. So the beginning stages were really trying to figure out what our product was going to be and how to take feedback with a grain of salt um, Mm -hmm. and figure out what everything was going to look like. But I followed my gut a lot in terms of the designs and the first products we introduced. Um, because the feedback I got wasn't always from consumers of sun protective apparel, um, mm-hmm. which makes it a little bit difficult, right? Everyone has an opinion on these things, which is absolutely fabulous. But if you're not a consumer of the product, it's a little bit harder to fully understand the market and our mission and vision. Yeah, and that's a great point of like knowing who it is that's giving you feedback and what like bias or or viewpoint they're they're giving that feedback from to know mm-hmm. whether it's you know applicable to your customer and your brand um so was this like pitch competition like who were you pitching to was it like industry experts or professors or like fellow students or kind of who was the audience that you were initially getting that feedback from yeah so the panel of judges were all virginia tech alumni who have had impressive, incredible careers. So in whatever industry they were in, whether it be technology or um, healthcare, anything under that umbrella, they are very high up and they have made fantastic names for themselves. But there wasn't anyone there who was in the apparel industry, which, yeah, which was another hurdle that I kind of had to get through was that I didn't have people who really helped me figure out manufacturing or pattern making until I found you, you know, that was through (laughs) Google searches and Instagram and everything, but there wasn't 
really anyone who came in and said, here, this is how you do it. It was a lot of trying to figure it out and failing quite a few times and then picking myself up and trying to figure it out again. Um, but to go back to your your previous question, all of the panelists were people who were so high up in their careers and you look to them for inspiration for where you want to be one day in your career and in your mm -hmm. industry. Yeah, that's, that's exciting and like great opportunity to be able to hear the wisdom of people that far ahead. But then also, you know, to your point about it, the industry does somewhat matter. Um, mm -hmm. Like there is industry specific or, you know, just customer specific things of what you're going for or that what you're doing may be different from the established norm, but on purpose, you know. Mm -hmm. So after that, like kind of what was the outcome of that pitch competition and where did you go next? Yep. So the pitch competition um, was in February of 2020. We ended up winning the Fan Favorite Award, which secured us a little bit of seed funding to get us started. Oh, congrats. Yeah, thank you. And we used that to, well, ironically, February 2020. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> a couple of weeks later, COVID hit. So everything kind of was in a little bit of a standstill. The couple of weeks after we won the seed funding, I started reaching out to manufacturers and industry experts just to try and get things moving. And things just weren't really going anywhere because factories were worried about their employees and supply mm -hmm. chains. And I mean, it was just a little bit of a mess, um, understandably so. But I used the seed funding eventually in October of 2020. We were finally able to launch our first product which was just a support t-shirt, right? It was like, how can we get the brand out there for the smallest amount of upfront investment possible? And that was mm -hmm. just a t-shirt with our brand on it. It was nothing revolutionary. It was nothing crazy, but just a place to start. And then we used the sales from that to start launching our, our first full line, which was um, long sleeve UPF shirts, dresses, wraps, and gaiters, and our, really our first full line started to come together from that. And then we started figuring out, you know, we want to do something different. I want to have control over the designs. I want them to be uniquely ours. And that's where you really come into our story, Allison. Yeah. Yeah. And then do, we can talk a little more about it, that, but I also, I want to dive in a little more to like what you started with, because I think a lot of um, designers who are thinking of starting a brand, like their first thought is I need to jump in. Like I want to create my own like beautiful, unique, complex designs. And that is like such a challenge. And I, I think that's really smart that you kind of, you started the brand, you got some sales going, you got um, hopefully some feedback too from customers in order to shape the decisions about kind of the investment into your own designs. So I'm curious, like, was that kind of like an intentional strategy of to start with? Um, were they just kind of like blank products that were existing and you just did them in your own colors with your logo kind of thing? Or what What did that look like? Mm -hmm. That initial, those initial pieces that you launched? Yeah, so those initial pieces we launched, we just needed to start with something. So it was very 
ironically, it was very intentional and at the same time, not intentional because <laughs> I didn't know where to start. So I knew I had to just, I just had to start somewhere. And like I mentioned before, manufacturers didn't want to take risks on us. They wanted to see some kind of proof of concept. And I also mm -hmm. didn't really fully know who our audience was. So mm. I started with a product that I selfishly knew I needed that I was struggling to find in the market, which was our UPF shirts. And we just started them in black, green, and pink, very basic colors. Um, and then with wraps and gaiters and a couple different patterns. And I took the feedback to and started growing our audience and started figuring out, okay, who is our customer? Who is our audience? And what do they want to see? And having conversations, which is actually a lot of fun. I really enjoy that part of the business, mm -hmm. um, engaging with our, our customer base. And I learned so much so that if I had started with what I thought our audience would have wanted and right out the gate launched product, it probably would have failed because I didn't have a good grasp on who we were serving. Whereas, you know, just mm -hmm. getting a, a minimum viable product out there and just starting with something, I was able to get a better grasp and figure out, okay, our audience, they like items that are a little bit on the longer side, that are a little bit forgiving, that are super comfortable and versatile. Um, they like trends, but they don't want to be too trendy. And all of those things really came up after, you know, about a year of research and, and asking questions and learning as much as I could. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's so interesting and smart. And I, I agree with you. I, I love the kind of customer research part and like figuring out who you're designing for, because mm -hmm. it's so important and it really does shape kind of the product development and the design and the messaging and the story and kind of like everything revolves around the customer. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like what were, you, you said that if you had just gone straight into manufacturing what you thought people would want um that was very different than what kind of the feedback came out to be so what were some of those differences like what would you have started with if before you had done this research and then um you didn't kind of already touch on what you actually did start with mm -hmm. I think I would have made the error of of going too close to resort wear mm -hmm. um it probably would have been pieces that you couldn't really incorporate into your everyday life, but were really cute to like wear out to, you know, a, a beach club or some kind of resort vibe. I, I would have probably fallen in step with what people in the industry were doing because I didn't know any differently. So I probably wouldn't have had my blinders on and would have done, you know, beach wraps and, you know, matching skirts and, and shirts that could be worn, worn as cover-ups. And I probably mm -hmm. would have taken it honestly as a copycat of the industry, which is not what I set out to do. Um, mm -hmm. So I had kind of that idea because in my head, well, that's where the market was, right? Like they wanted beach apparel and everything like that. But then when we ended up kind of shifting a little bit more towards was athletic and that athleisure trend that really came out of COVID that mm -hmm. were these pieces that were comfortable and looked good on Zoom, but no one would know that you're in a tennis dress that basically felt like your favorite pair of leggings. Mm -hmm. um, we really strived for that versatility and pieces that could be worn no matter where your day 
takes you. Um, and that's really kind of now the emphasis of the brand is these are pieces that you can wear to work, that you can wear to, you know, brunch. And that's really where now the brand is growing is these versatile, everyday, but really fun pieces that almost don't even look like you're wearing some protective apparel. People may not even know um, if you didn't tell them. And that's what our audience really said that they wanted is they didn't want to be standing out as someone who was wearing some protective apparel. You know, those are all great, like great information that you were able to like collect and hear from your customers and really define who you're creating this for and the specific kind of niche in the sun protective apparel world that you're, you're taking up space in now. Mm -hmm. I think I'm so thankful for how the brand has really grown and how willing our audience is to give that feedback because taking in that information, you know, it all goes into a spreadsheet so that when we go to design pieces, I can say, oh, Sarah in Manhattan wanted this piece and Sally in Texas wanted this piece. And I have mm -hmm. all of this information so that when I'm going to design stuff, I'm like, all right, Allison, here's what I have in mind. This <laughs> is the vision. This is mm -hmm. what we want to create. Yeah, so awesome. So yeah, maybe that's a good point to talk a little bit more about, like, we started working together, uh, it's probably been a couple years at this point, um, mm -hmm. on some, some, some custom pieces of your own design. Uh, so what was, where were kind of you at, were, where were you at in the business when you then started to um, develop your own pieces? And how was, how was that experience? Yeah. So in the business, when I found you and reached out to you, we were really in a place where our manufacturer was super limiting and what we were able to create. So basically they would just give us a pattern, give us the fabric, say that you can have it in these five colors, whichever one you want. And then that was kind of it. So there was nothing that would stop a competitor from coming in and doing the exact same thing. And furthermore, they weren't really the pieces that had the LUV aesthetic that I was really going for. Um, they were fantastic basic pieces, but they weren't really eluding the brand that I had set out to create. So I started doing research. I'm like, all right, I have a little bit of this fashion merchandising and design background, but not enough to do this right. Um, I have ideas of the design I want and the fit that I want, but I don't know how to effectively grade a pattern or effectively mm -hmm. create a tech pack. I, I had enough understanding of the entire process, but I didn't have kind of those in-depth details I needed to. So when I started reaching out to you about okay, I want to create these pieces, my mind was really focused on ownership. How can we differentiate ourselves and own our products and mm -hmm. have them fit the way we want them to fit? Um, yeah, with custom development, you have kind of the complete creative control over the look as well as the kind of technical control over the fit to really make it unique to your customer. Mm -hmm. And that was really important is, you know, with our former manufacturer, because we were so set into a box and what we could create, you know, one of the products we 
launched prior, I was like, oh, I, this dress is great, but it's, it's too boxy. It needs to have a seam down the back. It needs to have, you know, longer sleeves. I just kept started thinking about all these ways that I would change the garment. And that's kind of how I knew that we needed to branch out and do something different because I wasn't in love with the pieces we were launching. And when Mm. we launched the tennis dress, I am so in love with that dress. (laughs) I will scream it from the rooftops and I am able to sell that product better because I believe in it so wholeheartedly. Mm. And I'm not the best like salesperson. I don't want to sell you on something that I don't think you need, that I don't believe in. But this tennis dress I believe in and I really do think it's like one of the key products every woman needs in her wardrobe because it is so comfortable and it is so versatile and it's just so practical. All of the elements that went into it were so, so much thought went into them Mm -hmm. that it's just... I don't think a lot of things can compete with it. And I don't think that that's my brain, you know, being too close to it and having a um, inaccurate perception of reality. I really do think the dress is that great. And we've gotten so much feedback that um, says the same from our audience. Yay. I'm always so glad to hear that. And like, <laughs> it, it is like one of my favorite parts of my job is like seeing people like whether it's the fit model or the designer if they're trying it on or the customer um try on the piece and really like the smile on their face when they're like this is amazing I feel great it feels great on me like that is just such a beautiful thing to have a piece of clothing where it like meets all your needs you don't have to like you love it, but you don't have to think about what you're wearing. Like it, it mm-hmm. just like works. You don't, you're not like adjusting it or like feeling like this isn't, I shouldn't have worn this dress today or whatever. Like right. it, it, it does everything you want in the way that you mm-hmm. want it to. And, and that's always such an exciting moment when um, you're able to kind of create that, that garment for somebody. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I always have the I always think that fashion should make you feel good about yourself. You know, you should Mm -hmm. wear items that make you feel good, that you don't feel like, oh my gosh, I have to change my body for this garment. No, the garment fits you. The garment is, Mm -hmm. is, it, it is an accessory to you, but even more so, you know, being able to design the garment and having such a hands-on approach, uh, you know, I'm about to meet a client later this afternoon who bought the dress and she's like, you know what? The pocket just hit me kind of weirdly. And I was like, hey, guess what? Let's go up a size. I'm going to bring it to you. Let's try it on. Let's talk through it. And I have that knowledge of the garment to be like, all right, maybe because you have a longer torso, the pockets Mm -hmm. are hitting up a little higher than you'd like. So let's try the next size. But I am not able to talk about any of my other products that way because I really did not have that much say in the pattern and how it was created. They told Mm me, here's the pattern, here's the fabric, here's what we can do. Whereas when we work together, every detail was talked about and discussed so that I can talk about the garments with so much detail on the fit. And, you know, I know it's petite friendly. And if you're a little bit taller, you should size up. I know all of those details in a way that I'm really proud of because we spent so much time creating this dress. 
We did. I know we had like extensive conversations about like the pockets and the placement and like, do we want pockets or no pockets? Mm-hmm. And because it's like, yeah, that's always such a dividing thing of like everyone wants pockets, but then there's like a, a group of women that don't want like inseam pockets at their hip because it, you know, having having stuff in the pocket at that area of their hip, they don't like, but it's mm-hmm. such a like every detail. Yeah. Like you said, we've like had lots of conversations about um, all the little things that in the end, the idea is that nobody has to worry about it because we've already worried about all the right. details of red. Yeah. Right. And some, one of the most special things as well is that when we were having those conversations, we were going back and pulling our audience. So they feel like they had a role in creating the dress as well, because we pulled them. We're like, all right, pockets, no pockets this fabric or this fabric. And they really helped guide us throughout the process that 100% of people came back and they're like, you better put pockets in that dress. (laughs) So they were really the guiding force. So it is, our audience feels like they played a role in it, which is, I mean, that is so special. It just makes me beam with pride. Yeah. And that's so cool. And it it takes the, um, the pressure off of you as the designer to like guess what people want because mm-hmm. it's like you can never really read people's minds or guess like you have to talk to them and, and ask and and you you did that you asked people hey you know I, I don't want to design something just for me I want to design something that everyone's gonna like you know mm-hmm. everyone in your in your audience is gonna like um so making that happen and having those conversations is so important Yeah, I even think one of the things we debated about too was because it's a tennis dress, we debated on should it have spandex under it or should it not have spandex under it? And when we Mm -hmm. started having conversations, people said, no, I don't want spandex because I want to easily be able to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. Which is totally fair, but that's just like such a funny thing that I'm like, all right, totally fair. I understand. But acknowledging kind of those pain points that people you're like, oh, wait, wait, that's actually really funny that that's such a big pain point. Um, They said, you know, no spandex, no zipper, keep it simple, easy, breezy, easy to wear, which I completely agree that it makes total sense for a product to be as versatile and easy to wear as possible. Mm -hmm. And that kind of I want to touch on that a little more in, in that one thing that I, I talk about a lot with my clients is don't not to over-design or overspend on things that the customer doesn't care about. And so like in your case, not having kind of like shorts built in underneath the dress or not having a zipper, it saves you cost as the brand to produce the product and right. you're actually giving a better product to your customer. In doing so so it's like had you not figured that out from your you, you know talk to your customers and and learned that about their preferences you might have like spent the extra money to add all these other features that would actually detract from what they wanted um and so that can be like a super smart way to the more you know about your customer the the it'll actually create a better product and be cheaper often to produce mm-hmm. for you Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I know another thing we were debating was whether or not to put kind of a zipper at that collar neckline. So our mock Mm -hmm. um, collar, we're like, all right, maybe we put a zipper so that people can choose the sun protection and everything. And everyone loves the fact that it is a V-neck and it has the collar and it's a little bit like, it's not, it's not as 
I don't know. I want to say like the V-neck's almost like a little like Baba Voom detail, even though it's not a deep mm-hmm. V. It's just like a fun detail that makes women feel better and like it has a little bit more attraction and aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. It's sporty, but still not like totally a casual sport look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So then you produce this the this tennis dress that we've been talking about. Um, worked on that together, and then um, one thing we haven't kind of talked about on this interview yet is like how do you how do you sell? Do you sell online? Um, I know you do some pop ups as well, but what are kind of the primary channels that you're selling through and getting this feedback from your customers through? Yep. So we're first and foremost e-commerce. Um, and that's mainly because we were founded and started during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the first two years of the company, we were completely e-commerce. Um, we did have one wholesale brick and mortar company in Canada reach out to us who sold our wraps and gators. But nice. other than that, we were completely e-commerce. Um, and then in the spring of 2022, when you know things were getting a little bit more comfortable and people wanted to start doing some things again, we started doing pop-up shops, which was the first time I got to engage with our customer face-to-face and really get their feedback and what they liked and what they disliked and see people's reactions, you know, when they felt the fabric or when they tried on the garment. Um, So that was really vital for us to continue getting that feedback after being online for so long, right? I ship the product, but I don't get to see anyone try it on and tell me what they think about it. Whereas in pop-ups, you know, just this past weekend, we were at a pop-up at a farmer's market actually, and a mother and her daughter came up and the daughter said, oh, I don't know. I, I think I might be too short to wear this. And I could step over back from behind the booth and be like, hey, I'm 5'2". Here's how it fits me. And they're like, oh, oh, if that's how it fits you, I'm also 5'2". And you can kind of have those conversations that you would be limited in having just being online. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really enjoy that. And then just recently, actually, earlier this month, um, we had our very first brick and mortar, stateside brick and mortar Uh, start to carry little ultraviolet so they're right on lake michigan and we it it was so incredible to work with them it's another female-owned company i absolutely hit it off with the founder um and her whole mission is you know carrying products in her store that have a mission behind them which is really cool that people recognize that and acknowledge it but we're Mm -hmm. growing um you know that wholesale channel as well and we just take it day by day and hope that we continue growing. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. Congrats on the new um, brick and mortar partnership. Thank you. It is exciting. It's really cool. And it is really cool because people have started to reach out to us, which this is the first time that's really started to happen. You know, people say, I've heard about your brand and I've heard about the work that you're doing and we'd love to carry your products. And that hasn't happened before. And that is really exciting to see. It's like, all right, the days are long and, you know, things go not according to our plan all the time, but Mm -hmm. big things are starting to happen. Yeah. So exciting. Um, So you mentioned we, so I do want to dive in a little bit more. Um, Who, who's working with you? Who's the we? Do you have a team who, who's also behind Little Ultraviolet? 
Yep. We are a small but mighty team. Um, there are just two of us right now. Um, it's myself and then about six months into founding the company, a friend in college actually reached out. Her name is Snigda and she works as our director of analytics and really my right-hand man on all things low ultraviolet. Um, it's just the two of us, which is kind of crazy and a little overwhelming at times, but it's <laughs> fantastic because her background is in tech and AI and analytics. And my background's really in marketing and communications and fashion merchandising. So it's really fun to have two brains that operate totally differently mm -hmm. coming together to create a brand and figure out what our next steps are and what it should look like. Because we view the business so differently, which is really cool. Um, but because we had known each other in college, and we had actually worked together on a student organization together. So we had met each other as basically colleagues first. So we had that mm -hmm. that business understanding and just really respected each other that we were able to relate to Low Ultraviolet. And yeah, it's just been the two of us for the past two years. Yeah, that's so cool. And I think it's really interesting to have those different perspectives like it is a small team like two people and very different backgrounds um so what is kind of you mentioned you kind of have different approaches to business and like how you see the business and like what the next step should be um in general kind of like what are you what's your viewpoint of it like how do you see or you know make decisions and how does Nigda? yeah I think the one thing that is fantastic about our partnership is the overarching vision. You know, when she joined the team, I was like, here's where we're going. Here's the vision. And Snigda was able to see that same vision, which mm -hmm. is fantastic. You know, when you view everything so differently, you need to have the same end goal. goal. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and the way we go about it is completely different. You know, my brain goes, all right, so I'm hearing consumers saying this. So our next product we're going to launch is what they're asking for. It's that product. And Snigda pulls things back and looks at it from a different approach of like, all right, but I'm seeing the market doing this. And I think it might be cool to do something different. So everything is a conversation. Um, I will say I'm extremely stubborn. And because <laughs> I am talking to our, our customer base every single day, I get in my head about where it should be and how we should get there and put a lot of pressure on myself and and it's helpful to have someone to help you take a step back and really evaluate all right I know you want to get to you know a company that has men's women's children accessories all of that but there's no one set approach for it you know there's mm -hmm. no there's no path which is kind of amazing and stressful at the same time but again, like I said, I think the biggest thing is that even if we have difference in opinions, which we absolutely do, and that's totally normal, we mm -hmm. have just that underlying notion of just respect and that we really believe in this product and we want it to succeed and we respect each other so much. So let's figure out how we're going to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's a really important part of any partnership as well as just 
creating fashion products in general is like I was also want to know when I'm helping to develop and pattern something like what is the goal you know what maybe there's a better way to do this than what we're initially thinking or what the you know client is asking for the designer is asking for um like knowing what is the end goal of this like what are we trying to achieve with this piece or with this um, brand or with the look of it or with the fit and then it really helps me it almost like frees up the decisions for all involved of it, it makes it less personal if you know say you or somebody else on the team has a differing opinion mm-hmm. and one gets chosen of the other it, it's not a personal like decision of that that opinion was bad it was just more we all acknowledge that okay this let's try this I, we think it, this will be the best way mm-hmm. to reach our goal um as well as being clear about what are we trying to achieve so that the decisions along the way can really really meet that you know there there's kind of a clear like there there are multiple ways to do things i guess and so when you have the goal there there can it helps kind of focus the efforts towards one mm-hmm. area and make those decisions um, and make the design and, and the garment the re- really the best that it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think because my brain is so big picture, you know, I know where I want to see the brand being in five years and 10 years. And I kind of know the puzzle pieces to get there, but it's also a process that constantly is changing and evolving. So learning how to, you know, not take yourself too seriously in a sense, like not to get too like stuck on an idea that you're like, oh, I have to do this because this is my great idea. But Mm -hmm. if you get questioned on it, be able to be a little bit open to questioning what you have in your head because that's really what a team is for, right? Sometimes you get so stuck in your head and you're like, it has to be done this way or this has to be the next product launch that if someone doesn't question you on it, you might make the wrong decision for the business. But mm-hmm. it's always so helpful having like, all right, are you sure that men's polos are the next product? Or I don't know. It's just always so helpful to have multiple different perspectives and opinions and not being so stuck on an idea that you're not flexible to figuring out what works best for your customer base because at the end of the day I'm here to serve the customer I definitely have opinions on designs and things that should be done and how they should be done but if it's not serving our customer then I am doing them a disservice and the brand isn't fulfilling the purpose that it really set out to so you know I've learned a lot over the course of this fun venture uh, that things are not personal. It's all business. And every day, you know, I get told no or something doesn't work out and it's okay because the next great thing is is waiting just around the corner. But it's been a lot of fun. Honestly, it's been stressful, but it's been fun. <laughs> yeah, that's entrepreneurship for sure. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned that you've like learned so much through this whole process. Um, are there any other things that have really, really been kind of big learning from you since starting the brand or even since the initial like pitch of this brand idea? Oh my gosh. Honestly, I have learned so much. If I, if I pause and look back at, you know, 
the original business plan and when I started out and what I was thinking and what I was feeling and what I was trying to do for the brand and what I knew, it is light and night and day different from how we're operating now. I feel like I've had to be like a sea sponge soaking up everything. I mean, (laughs) I really did not know what a tech pack was when I was getting started and I didn't know anything about supply chain. I didn't even know how to create our shipping labels for our packages. And I was like, well, I got to figure it out. So I spent a lot of time and still to this day in that kind of place where you're kind of uncomfortable, but you're like, I'm going to figure it out and then it's going to become comfortable. But literally everything, every aspect of the business, I really had to learn um, because what you learn in a classroom is fantastic and it's amazing start. It's an amazing start. And then you can kind of build on that. But I definitely didn't fully understand what I was getting myself into, which is fantastic. I'm glad I didn't know <laughs> yep. everything. Yeah. Because I mean, I always jokingly say like, if I had known, I might not have done it. Oh, I totally still would have done it. But <laughs> I've just learned so much. And I just try and have, you know, that meant that student mentality and everything that I do that I will be the best advocate for the business and I'll fight for the business, but I'll also know when it's time to, you know, hire someone to fill in a role that I can't do to the best of my ability or, you know, take that feedback and change direction and and all of the above. And I've definitely learned that. I think at the beginning, I took feedback super personally, which is totally mm-hmm. fair. It's so hard to not take it personally. Mm-hmm. And now it really doesn't phase me which is actually very shocking because I'm a total people pleaser. But if I get feedback on the company now, I listen to it and I decide whether or not I'm going to act on it and then I move on. Yeah, that's that's super smart. And all like, I'm, I totally agree with you, both from my own experience and then just talking to other um, fashion entrepreneurs and founders of, it is kind of this roller coaster ride of, what did I get myself into? I had no idea what I was doing, but, you know, figured out so much along the way and it being stressful, but also super fulfilling and exciting at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to, to break it down, you know, super stressful, overwhelming, but really fulfilling and really exciting and such a journey. And mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for this company. I mean, this is exactly what I wanted to do with my life. And it's fulfilling like everything when you're a little kid. And it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always said entrepreneur and I didn't know what it meant, but I said (laughs) entrepreneurship that like gives back. It has to have some kind of purpose. It has to make the world a better place. It can't just be a company that doesn't do anything. It has to have some greater purpose. And I feel like that's what Lil Ultraviolet's doing. And I just feel so fortunate and so thankful and so excited for where the company is going. And I am just, I'm just so excited to be on this journey. Yeah. So I do want to ask about where things are going and and what kind of your, your, your plan vision for the future is for the brand. But first I do want to um, ask a little bit about like your journey. So you started this brand when you were still a student mm-hmm. And then now, of course, you've graduated, but like what has um, what has kind of your role in the the business or 
um, looked like throughout that time? Obviously, you were a student, and then I think you worked Mm -hmm. kind of full-time for another company for a while while starting. And now I know you just said you went full-time about six months ago with Low Ultraviolet. Mm-hmm. So how was, how was your role changed throughout the years um, amongst all these other things? Yeah, it's changed a lot. Um, so like you mentioned, company was founded when I was a student and then I graduated from college and I worked full-time. Um, I was first in the tech space and then I was in real estate and it was kind of craziest juxtaposition that I would be on, you know, calls for my first time job where I really didn't have a lot of responsibility and I really didn't have a lot of say. Well, then I would get on these like big calls with potential investors and I had to take lead and take charge. And I was way, I had way more of a say. And it was just like kind of this like weird brain shift that had to happen. But I worked... Mm full-time for the first two years of the company and then finally just recently made the switch and it was a lot I'm not gonna lie to people it was super overwhelming and taxing but the thing about this company is that I am so passionate about it and I never feel like the work feels like work and I know that sounds super cliche but I feel like if I work the amount of hours on I do on low ultraviolet on another company, I would have been burnt out years ago. Mm-hmm. But there's just this this passion and greater purpose that's really propelling me forward. But when I finally went full time for low ultraviolet is when the puzzle pieces started to finally fall into place. We started getting, you know, more publicity. We launched the podcast. We're starting to really see this incredible expansion and growth that wouldn't have been possible if I was splitting my time and trying to do everything at the same time and trying to be everywhere and trying to, you know, be my best self for my nine to five and then for my low ultraviolet five to nine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, at some point it's not practical and it took me a long time to make that decision. I know, Allison, I was telling you this before we hit record, I mm-hmm. had to like psych myself up to doing it. I knew it was something I wanted to do. I wanted to take this full time. I want to make it work, but it is so uncomfy. And there are days where you're like, oh my gosh, you gave up a really cushy job. What are you doing? And I have to remind myself that life is short. And even when the days are rough, we always have something positive happen. It's kind of the craziest thing you know we I might have a bad day and then I wake up next the next morning with an email from a dermatologist who was just introduced to our brand and wants to work with us and I just have to keep exciting it is exciting and it's like reminding yourself to enjoy those yeses because there are so many no's and really just (laughs) just keep taking it day by day and keep just staying hyper-focused on the mission. Yeah, so true. And congrats on on all you've been able to accomplish with the business and um, the courage to to kind of go for it and, and do like follow this mission. So kind of looking forward, what is kind of the, the long-term big mission that you want to see happen below Ultraviolet? 
Yep. So by the time that this episode goes live, we're going to have a brand new website relaunch. Um, So that is coming up. And with that, fingers crossed, the plan is that we will be expanding shipping outside of the United States. Um, So the plan as of now is that the first is going to be Canada. And I hope that I'm not putting my foot in my mouth. And when this comes out, we haven't done it, but that is the plan. And then continuing to grow our product offerings and then places where you can buy low ultraviolet. So outside of our website, maybe going and being able to purchase our products at boutiques and surf shops and specialty stores and really just trying to to grow our audience through other brands. And um, yeah, we have a lot of ideas and excitement for expansion, but the next year is certainly going to be about expansion and growth and, and trying to cast our net as far and wide as possible. How exciting and congrats on the launch. We will definitely put links to website and everything in show notes so people can check out the new site. Thank you. I appreciate that. And definitely come and check us out and come shop with us. Yeah. Um, so I have one more question, which mm-hmm. I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the work that you do and the clothes that you design, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I feel like at the end of the day, our brand is really about community and support and kindness. Um, I think in something as overwhelming and stressful and confusing as skin cancer, you need a community. And I hope when people wear our products, like, yes, they love the fit. They love the fabric. They love everything about the fabric. But when they wear it, they also feel like they have a greater community of support, really supporting them and pulling them up and and helping them. So I hope, you know, the greater mission is kindness and support and community. And I hope that you know, once we start getting that brand awareness and people see our logo, they they feel that those values projected and the apparel and in the brand. Yeah, I love that. And I, I know just like following you and knowing, you know, your story a little more, um, that community, that community is, I can see it playing out in how you run the brand. And hopefully if more people are wearing UPF protective apparel, um, they won't be getting skin cancer as often, ideally. And so like you have the community to like be there for people who are going through that, but also like there for each other Mm -hmm. in preventing that from happening in the first place, which is really, really cool. Yeah, I completely agree. I said since the first day we started the company, if we could just change one life by launching this company, it will all have been well worth it. And mm-hmm. I think we've done that. Um, I really do think we've changed lives for the better by really diving in and educating and sharing stories. Yeah, so exciting. Um, well, this has been so fun, Erica, to be able to catch up with you and um, kind of talk through start beginning all the way to what it looks like for the future of Low Ultraviolet. Um, where can people find out more about LUV online and check out the new site and hear the podcast and all of that. Yep. So you can shop at lowultraviolet.com. And then we're also on Instagram at lowultraviolet. 
Um, and I believe it's TikTok and Facebook, same handle, Low Ultraviolet. And then the podcast is called The Ultraviolet Tide. Uh, we launch new episodes every Tuesday, and you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Awesome. Put links to those in the show notes. And yeah, thanks so much for joining me today, Erica. It's been fun. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you would like more episodes and resources like this about growing a fashion business that fits your customer, lifestyle, and values, send straight to your inbox. You can sign up for my email list at alisonhainis.com newsletter. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-H-O-E-N-E-S dot com slash newsletter. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of How Fitting.